Wonderful song selection. That was powerful. The simple act of thanking the Lord, turning our attention and our affection toward him, and just thanking him. It wasn't even necessarily anything specific that we just thanked him for, but how many of us feel better now having just thanked the Lord, just giving him thanks, thanksgiving for all that he's done. Just this simple act. It, it has the ability to, to change our focus, and our focus determines our reality. I didn't plan on starting with that, but that is just, that is just so powerful. I mean, even driving down Armour Road here, it is so beautiful. Isn't it fantastic? The trees are just, they're alive, they're on fire. It is absolutely, I love this time of year. It's so easy to be thankful this time of year for the beauty that we see all around us. It is fantastic. It's also a time of year where we get to spend time with family. We had a Thanksgiving yesterday, and I got to eat one of the most delicious foods on the planet, which was brisket, and I'm just so thankful for that. Ryan, I really should have called you. <laughs> I made Ryan brisket for his birthday, and he did not shut up about it, and he just like grabbed a plate of it, and everyone who came, he shoved it in their face. He's like, try it, man. One dropped on the sand. He picked it up, drops, puts it in water. It's like, still, it's still good. You got to eat it. It's, brisket's amazing. Um, we should be thankful for brisket and all the goodness God gives us through meat. Um, we, we are talking about Thanksgiving today. I believe that Thanksgiving is an incredibly powerful tool for living a life of godliness. It's, it's more than a tool, actually. I would say it's a gate. It is a gate by which we either allow or prevent things from coming into our lives. I discovered this a number of years ago. Chantelle and I were going to go to a cottage, and so we lived in Bowmanville at the time, so if you can imagine, Bowmanville's here. I'll give you the map for you guys. The Bowmanville's here, and we're going up to Aurelia, which is up here. So I had to pick up a, tire, a wheel for my dirt bike, which was in Oakville, which is somewhere over there, which is completely out of the way. So we picked that up on the way. We're going to go pick it up on the way. And the person was a total no-show. No, I called them like 10 times, texted them, emailed them, everything I could think of, nothing. Just totally ghosted us. So now we had to go out of our way here in order to go back up there. It added roughly three hours of driving, which I was grumpy about. And then I was also grumpy because this meant that I wouldn't be able to dirt bike longer. And I, and I loved doing that. So I was grumpy, probably more grumpy than I should have been, but... I was pretty grumpy. And so Chantel's trying to talk to me, and I'm pretty much responding in grunts at this point. And after about a half hour of trying to talk to me, she's like, okay, whatever. So <laughs> she grabs our United Pursuit CD, because this, this was back before Spotify was popular, and, and puts it in the CD player. And she just starts singing, and she just starts worshiping and giving praise, and giving thanks. I'm going to use those terms interchangeably throughout today, but she was having a grateful heart. <laughs> Reluctantly, <laughs> and over time, I started 
my countenance started to change. And within, it probably took a good 15, 20 minutes, but I eventually took the spotlight off of myself and I turned it up to God and I started giving thanks and giving praise. It, it totally changed my whole mood. Thanksgiving and worship is like a gate where we choose, we can determine what we let into our lives, whether that be darkness and despair or not let them in. But what do we want to let in? I mean, we got to think about Psalm 24, 7, right? 24 verse 7. I, I got to say 24, 7 because this is like a 24, 7 thing that we should be doing. Lift up your, <laughs> lift your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. This is, this is what we want to allow into our lives, right? That we can lift up our gates, that the king of glory may come in. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. We want to say thank you. Today we turn our hearts toward you. Today we, we turn our affection toward you. We turn our sight toward you in gratitude. Gratitude for what you have done, for what you have given us, for your faithfulness. God, we are so thankful. We pray all this in your name. Amen. So imagine with me that you want to protect something. Maybe it's like a garden or chickens. What, what are you going to do? You're going to build like a fence, right? You're going to build a fence or you're going to build a, um, walls surrounding it. Now, if you're just doing a garden, usually walls are sufficient enough you can step over them. But if you're going to do chickens, they can, they can get up there. So you want to have it high enough that it's hard for you to get in and out too. So then you're going to need a gate, right? The gate is the entry point. It is the point in which people can get in and out it's also typically the part, the point where enemies try to get in. Uh, I'll have to mention Lord of the Rings, mainly for Paul. Um, in Lord of the Rings, that's what happens. Pretty much every time there's an enemy attack is they go right for the door, right? They go for the gate. They don't go for the walls because the walls are so solid. I mean, they do, but they don't necessarily try to break through the walls, Right? They go for the gate because that is an entry point. If we don't have a gate, or if the gate is extremely weak, that's problematic. So maybe you're trying to protect different things like <laughs> vegetables or chicken. Uh, let's go more biblical with it and say we're trying to protect sheep. Jesus wanted to protect sheep as well. Now, if you can imagine... What they would have is, in, in biblical times, is they would have 
walls going around, and there were four-sided walls, and they would have maybe a three-foot opening in, in the walls. And so all the sheep would come in for the night to rest after they had been in pasture during the day. And what the shepherd would do is the shepherd himself would lay at the gate and sleep. What is the point of doing that? Well, the shepherd wants to, if anything is going to try to come in, it has to go in through the gate. So what does Jesus say? Jesus, Jesus talks about this in John 10. And Jesus says in verse 7, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and out and find pasture. The thief, and this is important to understand, the thief comes only to steal kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So understanding here that the gate, the opening there, is potentially the weak point, right? The point of entry, and this can be where the robber or the thief can enter in and out. What Jesus does here is he takes the weakness and he makes it its greatest strength, by putting himself in there. This is true for a lot of things in the kingdom, the kingdom of God, kingdom truths, is that when we come to him with a weakness, understanding that it's a weakness, God is able to make it into a strength. When we rely, when we stop relying on ourselves, when we come to this beautiful realization that he is God and we are not, our weaknesses are able to become strengths when we rely on him. So Jesus becomes the gate. And then there are these walls. Now, I would like to try to figure out a little bit more about what this means. This is symbolism. It's a symbolism that we see in the Old Testament. So I'm going to flip. You don't have to flip there. I'm only going to read a few verses. But I'm going to go to Isaiah 60. And I'm going to read in verse 18. I want to find out what are these walls And what is this gate? So Isaiah 60, verse 18. No longer will violence be heard. Okay, sorry. I should give you some more context. Isaiah here is talking about the new Jerusalem, meaning the Jerusalem that is to be in heaven. And he's talking about something that is to come. But what's neat about this is that we can realize that this is something that we can live into here on earth. They are accessible to us. As you remember, Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Isaiah 60, verse 18, no longer will violence be heard in your land, nor ruin or destruction within your borders, but you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The sun will no more be your light by day, nor will brightness, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you, for the Lord will be your everlasting light. As a beautiful picture of what is to come. So what did they say there? Your walls will be salvation, 
and your gates will be called praise. Okay, so that's a neat what. We're kind of understanding what they're called, but I don't know about you, to me this is still a little fuzzy. I could use a little more understanding toward this. So I'm going to look in the book, I'm going to look in Revelation 21 because they also talk about the New Jerusalem there. So if you want to turn, we can turn there. Revelation 21, and I'm going to read most of uh, verses 9. I'm going to start at verse 9. So this is, the book of Revelation is a revelation given to the disciple John. And here he gets shown a vision, and in this part of the vision, an angel is meeting with him. So Revelation 21, verse 9. One of the seven angels who had the seven... I'm just making sure I'm not supposed to start at verse 15. Yeah, I'm going to start at verse 15. The angel who taught with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia which is roughly 2,220 kilometers in length and as wide um, and high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick, which is roughly 200 feet. The wall was made of jasper, and the city pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundation of the city was decorated with every kind of precious stone. And then they go on to describe what the precious stones were. Verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not... I'm so sorry. It's laid out different in the NLT, and I I missed the verse I wanted to read. Verse 21 is where I'm trying to go. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each gate was made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was gold, as pure as transparent glass. Okay. So, we have the imagery that we learned in Isaiah 60. The walls are, help me out, Salvation, thank you. The walls are to represent salvation, and the gates are to represent praise. Thank you. So what do we see in the walls of this city? The salvation, what what are we representing? One, it's huge. It's over 2,200 kilometers in length and in width. It's 200 feet thick or 200 feet high, depending on how you read it. That's huge. It's made of jasper. It's strong. It's durable. Salvation. This is something we can put our hope in. This is something we can put our lives into. This is something we can put our trust into. The salvation is a beautiful and magnificent thing. The salvation is solid. And then we have this really interesting, interesting verse. It says that the gates are pearls. That's kind of weird. Does anyone else think that's weird? If you can imagine like the gate being this gigantic pearl, 
Pearls are typically between two and 20 millimeters. So if you have this entire gate, that's a one pearl, right? Is, is anyone else with me? Is that kind of weird? Thank you, thank you. <laughs> Why would they use such imagery? Well, we gotta think about the formation of a pearl. Pearls are formed by irritation. Now, there's, there's some conflict on this, but some people think a single grain of sand can cause a pearl. Other people say that's not true. Sometimes these things can just come in and keep going. But something comes to irritate, to disrupt the balance, to disrupt the flow. Then, what does the oyster do? It secretes something. It chooses to use something, and it coats what would have been irritating so that it no longer is. Now, I want you to get this, because this, I think, is the key to understanding what the Bible's saying. When an irritant or when a frustration or something that disrupts the flow comes into our lives, we have a choice. We can choose to let it be there and stagnate and ferment and, and decay and, and ruin us, or we can produce something within ourselves to combat that. It, it doesn't necessarily get rid of it. How many of you know when trials and tribulations and troubles come into your life, it does, just having your attitude change doesn't get rid of the problem. The problem can still be there. The irritant for the oyster is still there, but it's choosing to deal with it, to coat it. And I am suggesting that what, it's, what that looks like in our lives is it's thanksgiving. It is choosing to be thankful in the midst of trials, tribulations, and troubles. And when we do that, we take something and, and we coat it. And what should be irritating is no longer the same version of irritation. Um, I also want to say that it's a development. It's something that develops. A pearl isn't just there. It develops over time. Now, I experienced this uh, a few years ago. And a few years ago, I began to uh, get anxious. And, and not just have anxious thoughts, I, and I never got it diagnosed, but I believed it was anxiety attacks. It, the best way I can describe it is I would be peering over a, an edge of a cliff, which was despair, and then I would just plummet. I would just plummet into despair, and all positivity and hope and cheeriness was just, was just gone and I would be plummeting. And I remember this feeling of accelerating into despair. It was, it was an absolutely terrible feeling. And so what do you do? I, I tried everything. I would, I would curse the darkness, um, hoping, hoping that I could just rebuke it in Jesus' name and it would go away. Um, I was feeling negative thoughts about myself during this time, so I would begin to declare God's truth about me, all the while still making the focus on me. And, and that still didn't work. 
the only thing that I found that worked was giving thanks. The only thing I found that would help get me out of this pit of despair was turning, the affection, turning my attention off of myself and toward God and giving him my attention and affection. And, and that was able to pull me out. I found in my life that the times when we least want to give thanks, the times when we least want to worship God, are the times that we need to the most. We read Psalm 42 earlier, and and just the one verse I want to pull out of that is Psalm 42, verse 5. Where he says, Why are you so down? Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why is so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. Now, check out this line For I will yet praise the Lord. I will yet praise the Lord. I hope that verse, that phrase, sticks with you. David is feeling assuming it's David, is feeling downcast. He's feeling defeated in this moment. He's disturbed. What does he say? I will yet praise the Lord. Regardless of how I'm feeling, I'm going to take the spotlight off of myself and I'm going to turn it to God and I'm going to give him praise and honor and glory because he's worth it. Whether I feel like it or not, We don't always feel like it. Those are the times when we need to the most. I'm also going to, I think we get a little bit more context for this in in 1 Peter. And I'm going to read out of the NLT because I like the way this translates. So in 1 Peter 1 verse 6, It says, so be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. Hmm. How many of you know that God doesn't promise a clean, simple, and easy life for those who are in Christ? I wish he did. He promises trials. He promises that hard times are coming. Even though you have to endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show you, will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Christ Jesus is revealed. You remember, so we have the gates that are salvation. We, sorry, the gates that are praise, which is the pearl. And then we have the walls that are salvation. And then it says the great streets of the city were gold, as pure as transparent glass. The most pure gla- uh, gold you could possibly imagine. When trials in our lives come, it is being tested as fire tests gold. I didn't know 
what this meant. I, I, had to, I had to look it up. So what I thought this meant was that gold would rise to the top when it was heated. You know, cream rises to the top, and that's how the cream and milk or cheese, that's how those things are separated. And I kind of thought it worked the same way with gold. That's not how it works with gold, actually. What they would do, how they would test the purity of gold is they would heat it up. They would, they would heat the gold up, and then something interesting would happen. Pure gold, when it's tested by fire, gets brighter. Whereas fake gold, or the parts that are impurities within the gold, get darker. Isn't that interesting? God's design for your and my life is that when we are tested like fire, that we shine. That is how God designed us to be. That we shine when these trials and when these troubles come. So, when we put this all together, we have security in the foundation that these walls are set on. These walls are set on precious stones and the cornerstone of of Jesus Christ. These walls are solid. But walls without a gate isn't safe. We need to have a gate. And we develop that gate when hard times come and we choose to be thankful when we choose gratitude in the midst of difficult times. This is how we develop these gates. Now, even when we have that, does that mean that we're perfectly safe? Are we totally and completely safe from any attack or any, anything coming at us? No, there is a thief who aims to kill, steal, and destroy difference is when we have this established, we have a fortress, we have protection, and we are ready. We are so much less likely to be ambushed. We have this strong fortress around us. We are so much better protected. We are so much better armed and so much more ready. So I want to talk about how this applies. How does this apply to your life? Because we're, we're talking about implementing something. One, one way that we could do this, actually, is, is like what we just sang. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I just want to say thank you, Lord. Just repeating that. But a cry coming out of your heart. Thank you, Lord. I am so grateful. If, if you do that, you will feel different. Just thanking the Lord. We, another great thing is when we're singing how great thou art. One thing that we can always be grateful for no matter what is happening in our lives, no matter the trials that are in our lives, no matter what, is we can be thankful for the cross. We can be thankful that on the cross God, his own son not sparing, sent him to die to take away our sins. That is something we can be thankful for. We can be thankful that one day we will be seated with him and and we get to experience him in glory. These are things to be really thankful for. Now, I I like to look about things this way. When's the best way to train for something? Before it or during it? True story. Grade 10, I wanted to 
play rugby. It just looked like a cool sport. I like bumping into people and stuff, so I was like, I, I want to play rugby. So I said to the coach, <laughs> true story, I said, can I, can I join the team? He said, yeah, sure, there's a game tomorrow. I'm like, okay, great. Uh, how do you play? He's like, I don't know, just, just go. <laughs> so my first ever rugby game, I played with no idea what I was doing. I just went out there and did it. And that is a way to learn, but that is not the best way to learn. The best way to learn is to know ahead of time and to practice ahead of time, to do drills ahead of time, to practice thankfulness so that when we are in these moments where the, the torch is on us, where the heat is on us, we can shine because we've done it. The church is an amazing place for this, to learn to shine while here in the church so that when we go out in the world or when we go out and we experience these trials and hardships, that we've already done it, we've already been there, we've worked that muscle memory. So, to, to train ourselves. Secondly, to train ourselves toward thankfulness. What else this does is it trains our focus. Our focus determines our reality. So if we can train our focus to look at what God is doing, what he is doing in our lives, what he is doing in our midst, to train our focus on gratitude and being grateful for what he has done, that's what we focus on. We can focus on the negativity. We can focus on the things that are against us. It really is a choice. When they come, we can say, why me? Right? Why me? Why does this have to happen to me? And, and we, can, we can be defeated in that. Or we can find the gratitude. William Faulkner, an American writer, said, the gratitude, quite similar to electricity, must be produced, discharged, and used in order to exist at all. As in, gratitude is useless if you don't use it. You have to use it. You have to produce it for it to actually mean something. That's how gratitude works. So we train by practicing. We can train our focus. And then I think we can also anticipate. Most of you will be familiar with John Maxwell. John Maxwell is probably the world's leader in leadership. If you were to say, ask most people who knows the most about leadership, they would say John Maxwell. Now, one of the ways he got there was by having interview lunches. So he'd take someone out for lunch, someone who's a great leader in their field, and he would ask them seven questions. One question that he would ask them is, what is the biggest lesson you've ever learned? And he was surprised that time after time, after time after time, all of these great people, the greatest lesson that they had ever learned in their lives came from a time of troubles or trials. It came from a difficult season of life. This was the greatest lesson that they had ever learned in their lives. When asked if they could take it back and, and change it, everyone said no, even though, it, even though it really hurt. It was not fun at the time. The lessons they learned from it were so vital. Anticipate that God is going to do something. He's going to use the, trial, the trouble that you're in. He's 
going to use it for your good and his glory eventually. Nothing is pleasant in the time. When we do that, we can live in hope. And I just I love the definition of hope that it is the joyful anticipation of what is to come. If we are to do this, if we are to implement this, certain things are going to change in, in our lives. One of them is that we'll view trials and tribulations differently. We're not going to be surprised when they come. It, it, when we're surprised by it, I think it always makes it worse. It's, it's like getting ambushed. Instead of being ambushed, we will have these walls of protection and these gates that either allow certain things in or block things from coming in. We will be ready. We won't be ambushed. We'll be ready when troubles come. <laughs> if we do this, when we, te- when we are tested, we'll shine. When we're tested as fire test gold, we will shine like stars in the world around us. We'll also react differently. Andy Stanley has a beautiful quote on this. He says, actions speak louder than words, but reactions speak loudest of all. How we react to things speaks so loud to who we are. It's proving our faith to be true. I want to I stop and just acknowledge something as well. That sometimes we just need a minute. When, when these troubles come, sometimes we need a minute, don't we? And, and it's okay, it's biblical to mourn. It's good to have someone that you can share your feelings with and your hurt with. These are very good things. It is very good to acknowledge these. It's healthy to acknowledge these and to talk about these and to process these. It's the difference of learning to walk with it, learning to live with it, or letting it define you. Lastly, I just want to say that when we live this way, we will live expecting a greater return. We will live expecting that God is going to use this present thing that we're in to greater, greaten the kingdom of God. It's going to be used for our good. It's going to be used for his glory. When we can give thanks in all things, our perspective changes. When we can take the spotlight off of ourselves and give honor and glory to God for the things that he has done, for saving us, for loving us, for picking us out of the miry clay and placing us on a solid rock. When we can live with gratitude for the things that he's done, it doesn't necessarily change our situations, but it changes our perspective. Let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you that you are here with us. God, I pray 
for anyone in this room that is going through in a very difficult time right now. God, I thank you for the protection that you offer. God, I thank you for these strong and sturdy walls of salvation. God, I thank you for the gates of praise that we, we develop. God, I pray strength into our lives. God, I pray that you would help us to determine our reality, to, to focus on you, Lord, that we can focus on the finished work of Christ, that we can be grateful for the cross. God, help us to live with gratitude, even and especially in the midst of hard times. God, it's so hard sometimes to be grateful and to worship and to praise when we don't want to. God, it's in those times that you meet us the most. God, we thank you that you are so good that your love endures forever. In Jesus' name, amen.